Who do you tell when you have good news? Who's the first person you text? Who's the first person you call, email? Who are you eager to talk to? This morning we're looking at the first Noel, which is a song we'll sing at the close of the service. A little bit loud, maybe, Ty. And, uh, but I, I have a friend who uh, I, I texted him. We, were, we actually went skiing yesterday in uh, Alexandria, and I didn't die, which I'm always helpful. I'm glad whenever I go do something that's sort of dangerous. I've crossed the 40-year line. So I feel like my risk of death when I sign the waiver is more real. They have, you sign them, they're, they're talking to people like me and those older. That's who they're really concerned about. Glad to survive. But I, I knew he went, my, my friend John went hunting uh, between Christmas and New Year's. He'd invited me. I knew I wouldn't be able to go pheasant hunting. And so I texted, how did the pheasant hunt go? And so about Six minutes later, I got a phone call from him, and John is really exuberant. I don't have the gift of exuberance like he does, but he was like, I had to call. It was like, I, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. Like, I don't think I've ever had a hunt like this before, and he went on with all the details and how many birds he saw and how close they were, all this sort of stuff. Who do you call and, uh, when you have good news? If you get a promotion at work, who are you thinking you want to share that good news with first? Or if you find a buck or $5, I, one time I found a $100 bill on the ground in the middle of a parking lot. Well, who do you tell? Who, do you, who are you excited to tell? Or maybe you, if you, uh, maybe you had a great hunting trip or a fishing trip, if you catch a limit of fish or you catch a fish, who do you want to tell? If you find a $1 bill, who do you want to tell first? Your dad. Yeah. People you care about, who you love. Exactly. Or maybe you tried a recipe for your family and like every person liked it. Who are you excited to text or tell that you found something that works for everyone, which is rare sometimes depending on the size of your family? Um. I'm taking steps toward being a little more expressive in sharing good news. I appreciate that you mentioned that, Scott. That's not a strong suit of mine. Probably because I'm not like my friend John. If I have good news, like I am not as exuberant in talking about it. I don't know exactly what it is. Probably some personality things there. This morning, the first Noel is a song. Uh, it's a Christmas song. But it really is actually an epiphany song. Uh, we've talked about this the last couple of years once or twice. Epiphany is Friday. It's 12 days after Christmas. That's where you get the song, the 12 days of Christmas. Epiphany traditions included things like, this would have been nice, kids. You probably opened some presents, right? Who opened some presents, kids? Anybody open any presents? Did you guys? No? Yes. Okay, yes. So if we were doing the epiphany tradition you'd still be opening them until Friday, every day. Maybe we should go back to that. Right, parents? Just kidding. No, no. Um, yes, maybe we should have a vote. Should we have a vote? No, no. <laughs> yes, no, we'll see. Well, the first Noel has its roots. It was really a, a song that was sung in celebration of Epiphany. Epiphany in the liturgical Christian calendar is signifies, you know what an epiphany is? Like you have a light bulb moment, a revelation, like all of a sudden something that you didn't quite get, like boom, it comes together, a new concept or idea. 
Well, the epiphany that we're talking about in the church calendar is the epiphany that the three wise men or the magi had when they saw the Christ child that they'd been on a journey for months to come and visit. And so we know from the scriptures that that happened after his birth, probably months or longer after his birth. And it wasn't all together like our Christmas pageant show, although it's tied together. That's why we celebrate it together and why our manger scenes often have the kings and the shepherds because the birth of Christ and the revelation of him to these wise men was a significant event. It's a part of what we're celebrating during the Christmas season. So what we're going to look at this morning is I'm not going to actually do a huge history of the first Noel, although I could give you or lend you a few books if you're interested that tell more of that story. Of course, you probably know the word Noel uh, is a French word. That, that's part of the way that you say Merry Christmas in French. I'm not, I don't speak French, but it really signifies a joyous expression, a greeting about the celebration of Christ's birth. Um, it could have roots that are connected to like novel, like we get the word novel or new, news. You see good news. You see that connection there, first Noel. It's kind of connected. Um, our gift-giving traditions, probably the reason why we did give gifts over Christmas, many of us, um, or most of us, is because of what this song celebrates. The part of why we give gifts, and like the 12 days of Christmas was the tradition that gave gifts, and the reason you give gifts is because the Magi, that's part of how they express their worship of Jesus, is they offered gifts, which you know, or the three gifts, kids, of the three, three wise men. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all know those. That's right. Those are the first three Christmas gifts, if you will. And part of why we give gifts is because they gave gifts as an expression of worship during the, on, the, on the first Christmas. So today what we're going to look at, rather than as a history of the song of the first Noel, which is a song that was sung in celebration of Epiphany for many years, there's actually... There's, 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 some, there's a big rivalry game later today, if you are a football fan, and the, there's a rivalry around this song, actually. Like, you, you and I would think Noel, it must have been French in its origins, but actually between England and France, there's a bit of a, where did this song originate and who had it first? Because, of course, Noel sounds French, but it appears historically that it, it really actually started across the English Channel in Britain, got really popular, and came over to French, France. Now, if you get a French history, it might, they might say it was reverse. Uh, but there's a little bit of a rivalry there about where did this song really become popular. What we're going to look at is we're going to look at the text, which is Matthew 2, that is really the inspiration for most of this song this morning. And that's where we're going to settle. And my sermon in a sentence followed my big question for you and I this morning. Here's the sermon in a sentence followed by the question, is this, in Matthew 2, what we're going to see is that Christ was ignored by the religious, he was threatened by rulers, and he was joyfully worshipped by dignitaries. Those are three responses to Jesus. And so the question for us is, what's our response to Christ going to be like? And actually, I think you might be able to identify with each of these responses to differing degrees. But let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and then I'll make a couple of comments about each of these responses. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was 
deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah should be born or would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. That's from Micah 5.2. And you, Bethlehem, is the land of, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so let's look at these three responses. Here's the first response, which you might miss like I missed without studying this a little closer. The first response is that the religious ignored Christ. This is really interesting. So King Herod heard this. The Magi came, verse 3 says. They're looking for, they want to worship the Messiah, whose star they saw that was rising. And he was disturbed, and everyone in Jerusalem was, was disturbed with him. We're going to talk about why that was when we talk about Herod's response. We'll pause that comment. But then he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them, where the Messiah would be born. These are the people who knew. They studied the scriptures. They quoted Micah 5.2 for him. They knew where he would be born. So in the wintertime, I like one of the activities I like to do to get outside is to cross-country ski. I find that I'm, I, like, I, I, I breathe a little deeper. I have less stress, less anxiety if I just am able to get outside throughout the year. But living where we live, it's harder to wants to do that for reasons for a big part of the year. And so I cross-country ski, and I was cross-country skiing one time at Turtle River State Park, and I was going on a loop. I, I, I used to be really familiar. I grew up on the Air Force Base, and so our family would go out there and cross-country ski, all four of us, my brother and my mom and dad and I, pretty regularly. But after the flood happened there a few years ago, all the trails are all different. And so Nothing was familiar. They did one little loop, and I decided to take this other one. And I, I was going and going, and it wasn't a groomed loop. It was like someone had not bushwhacked, but kind of like created their own trail. And I was kind of listening. You can kind of hear the highway. Okay, I think I know where I am direction-wise. And, and I'm kind of like, after a while, I'm like, I'm kind of gone quite a while. I wonder if I should just turn around, because if you turn around, you know you'll end up where you started. But I'm not sure exactly where this is going to come out, if it's going to be convenient. So I turned around, started going the other way, and then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just go a little farther. And I'm glad I did. Because about two more minutes of skiing, then I popped out the other side right back where I had seen both trails. So I almost backtracked that whole way. These uh, scribes and chief priests sort of did the backtrack without turning around. So they, what's curious is these are the people who knew exactly where the Messiah would be born. They knew all about him. They knew more than just Micah 5 to all these prophecies. This was like the most important, or at least one of the most important events of their lives. And these magi from another country come. They're looking for this king. The actual king of their land, King Herod, was also interested. But you know what's curious? None of them go and even look into. You'd think that maybe one of them would have maybe wanted to tag along to just see maybe if this was actually something, but they didn't. They just went on with life. They said, here's the prophecy, and then that's it. The text says nothing else about the religious. Now, could somebody have looked into it? It's possible that was not recorded in Scripture for us. But 
they knew all the details of what Herod and the Magi were looking for, and they didn't get involved enough to even investigate. They just ignored this, which ended up being the most important event of their lives. So I want to ask you, how much of your life is lived in a business-as-usual sort of way, as though Jesus, the one who created the universe, hasn't actually entered the world for a real purpose that affects everyone? See, on the one hand, it's easy to wonder why we wouldn't at least investigate this claim, send somebody, I mean, send like a junior scribe, someone who sweeps up the scribe room afterward, or something, right, and report back. And on the other hand, I totally get it, about going about business as usual, as though Jesus hasn't really entered the world. There's really only one solution if this is you or I. It's the solution that Jesus gave. One word, repent, which means change your mind. Uh, Colossians 1 is a great description of who Jesus is. It's a great reminder when we're in a business-as-usual state of mind. Let me read it for you. Colossians 1.16, speaking about Jesus, says this. In case you're wondering, the baby Jesus wasn't just a baby. He existed before that. You know that, but it's good to be reminded of that. For everything was created by him. In heaven and earth... The visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That for is important. There's a purpose. Jesus created all things in his power, and he created for him. We're designed to worship and revolve around him. And then verse 19 says this, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, to make everything right, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so really our choice, like the religious leaders, is either to go, wow, or meh. I think I'll make some bread which is kind of what they did. They just ignored and went on with life. We can do the same, can't we? I sure can. Let's look at verse 7, the next response. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them for the exact time the star appeared. Why did he do that? We're going to see. He sent them to Bethlehem after he found that out, and he said, go and carefully search for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him that word worship also means to pay homage, which I'll mention here in a minute. The second response to Jesus is it's kind of uh, a dual response. First of all, Herod was threatened by Christ, and so he threatened Christ. That's usually what we ha happen, right? Like, so if you are getting threatened, it's, you have a fight or flight response, you are either going to take off or you are going to attack the threat. Herod was having a fight or flight response. He chose to fight. Herod was disturbed, and everyone around him was disturbed. You know why they were disturbed is because Herod was paranoid, and he was willing to kill any perceived threat. 
he actually, other history records that he killed some of his own family members, children and a wife, because he thought they might threaten his rule, which we find later in Matthew 2.16. Here's the reason why he asked about the time when they first saw the stars. So this can give you an idea of maybe how long the Magi's journey started, how long they were thinking about or traveling or planning on making this trip. Because it says in Matthew 2.16, the Magi didn't go back to Herod. They were warned in a dream. It was one of the ways that God sovereignly preserved Jesus for his purpose, because Herod certainly would have killed him if he had the chance. Herod, when they they decided to go back a different way, and this is what it says in Matthew 2.16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. So what he'd heard from the wise men that two years ago is when they first saw the star. So Herod said, I'm going to kill every son who was born between then and now to make sure that this threat, this potential king, won't take my throne. Herod wasn't Jewish, by the way. History tells us that. He was king over the Jews. Likely he was on the throne because he somehow bought with favors or maybe gold the opportunity to rule in Jerusalem. He was anxious that this new potential boy king might challenge his rule on the throne, the the life he had built for himself. He was anxious. He was afraid that the control he had over his life and his kingdom, which he had built, might get taken away or be in jeopardy. And he was angry. He was anxious, afraid, and angry, at least, that his plans for his life might be in jeopardy. And so he raged. So my son and I have a little joke when it comes to leaving the house on time. We live, two men, in a house with six other people who aren't men. And Aaron, like I, am usually ready to leave first, early, oftentimes. And uh, it's fun and funny because jo- I joke with Aaron, like, Aaron, you are just getting a lot of life training here. It's, it, by the way, this isn't a male or female trait. It just happens to be in our house it's that way. If it is in your way as well, that just happens to be that. We're not making any stereotypes here because I know some other people that are later that aren't female, for sure. But in our house, this is what has tended to happen is just the plans of getting ready and we're, we're ready to go at a certain time. Um, sometimes Aaron is riding with his sister Josie to work and he's ready a little earlier or a lot earlier And he can get a little frustrated, which I can relate with because I have been in the similar shoes that way. Because really, it's just a small version of, here's my plan for how the next half hour of my life is going to go. And my plan is that we get in the car and get there by this certain time, so dot, 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 right? And when that's not happening, I begin to get a little frustrated. Probably none of you have ever struggled with this before. But just going to be humble and say, I have. This response is not all that different in one way to Herod's response. It's just the degree of the response. 
See, Herod had all of his plans, his control. It wasn't just for 30 minutes, maybe, of his life. It was longer term. That the, the, the idea or the possibility it might get thwarted or frustrated. And he raged, and his rage impacted the lives of many people. It wasn't just, of course, you know, the boys who were killed. It was families, right? Moms, siblings, fathers, grandmas. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what about me? What is my response to Jesus when he arrives unexpectedly and messes with your life? Changes your plans. Shifts your hopes. Of course, Herod's raging was extreme. It was vile. It was evil. And yet, I sort of get it. I can understand getting anxious or fearful or angry when Jesus shows up unannounced, unexpected, and changes stuff. My hopes, my plans, my expectations for life. So the first response is to ignore Jesus. The second response is to threaten or get angry at him. And here's the third one. Matthew 2, 9 through 11 says this. After hearing the king, the magi went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Now, I'll just pause and comment and say, there's a lot of theories, but we have no idea what that was. Like, there's no way to really know. Actually, what you can know is you can go back, you can get a computer program and pay 100 bucks or 200 bucks, and you can actually see what the night sky looks like anywhere in the world at any time in history because they move with enough regularity that you can see where the stars will be. So you can actually reverse time and see what the sky might have looked like in Jerusalem. But even though you can see that, we don't really know what this was. It may have been something that we could reverse and see, or it may be something that was supernatural, similar to like the Red Sea parting. We can't really, really redo that one. We don't really know. So I'm just, this is just a side note. And it probably isn't all that important to know exactly what happened, but we do know that Somehow, miraculously, something in the sky happened that led the Magi there. When they saw the star, verse 10, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with his Mary mother, Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here's the third response. The Magi joyfully worshipped Jesus. Again, we don't know how the star led, their, led them there, what the star was. It was it a combination of planets. You know, I think last year, was it last year, the year before, we had like a Christmas star happening in the sky. You could see it. We watched it night after night. Three planets were getting closer and closer together, and they all combined into one about the same time of year in, the, in, in winter. Could have been something like that, maybe. The Magi... We don't really know exactly who they are, although they're a 
theories and evidence that might give us some idea. They came from the east, but how far east, we're not sure. Some people think they may have had roots with Daniel, who was a wise man when he got carried off into exile in Babylon. He was Jewish. Perhaps some of that was there. We don't really know for sure. It may have been that they were familiar with some of the Hebrew prophecies, like Numbers 24:17, popular movie, The Nativity Story, has the wise men quoting this prophecy. Maybe they knew it, maybe they didn't. It says this, A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. They probably had some, some knowledge of Jewish prophecy. Obviously, there else, why would they look into it? But we don't know for sure. We do know that they probably weren't Jewish, at least not full-blooded so, but they probably had some connection to those with the Jewish faith. Here's what we didn't do know for sure, because it's in the scriptures. When they came to the child they worshipped, it says they fell to their knees. You almost get the sense that they couldn't do anything else. And they paid homage. You know what paying homage usually is? It usually means I'm the king of one area, and you're the king of another or the ruler, we go to war, I beat you, and now you give me stuff so I don't kill you. It's not really like something you do joyfully, right? You worship me so that I will preserve your life. I'll protect you and not take all your stuff away. That's that's kind of the idea of this word worship is homage. It says, actually, they joyfully did this. They were actually overjoyed for the opportunity to express respect and honor for the birth of this child who they believed would become a prophesied king of Jerusalem, of, of the Jews. So they, here's also what we knew, is that when they saw the star, the phrase that was used there is that they were overwhelmed with joy. Can you remember a time when you were overwhelmed with joy and what the circumstance was? overwhelmed. Like, I've been overwhelmed. Usually when I use overwhelmed, it's not positive. It's usually like, I am overwhelmed and I don't know how I'm going to get through this day or this week or my life. They were overwhelmed with joy. This morning, in my quiet time, I read Psalm 89. I want to read you a verse there that I, when I wrote it down, I just prayed, Lord, I want to experience more of this. Says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. And I like this verse, verse 15. Happy are the people who know the joyful shout. Lord, they walk in the light from your face. Being in God's presence leads to a joyful shout. Can't remember too many times when I have shouted for joy because of being in God's presence. But it sounds like these magi did. They were overwhelmed with joy and they bowed their knee. They expressed joyful submission to Jesus. They offered him gifts as an expression of their worship to him. So I'm going to summarize by this, by saying when Jesus came into the world, I think the significance of his coming and the the characters that we notice, that we sing about in these Christmas carols, there's significance. And one of them is this, is that Jesus came to be king over those who were near and those who are far, everyone. So like the religious leaders, even though they didn't respond well to him, he came to be king over them and those who are far, which like the Magi would represent, someone who's far geographically but also far spiritually from God. He came to be king over those highest of the high, like the kings of the land, like, like King Herod, 
maybe, I don't know what their magi's position were, but there's a reason why the shepherds are mentioned as the first witnesses to this Messiah King is because Jesus came to be the king of the lowest of the low. The shepherds were at one of the lowest positions of, of society. He came to be king over all. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to sing the first Noel band if you want to come on up and get yourself set. Um, this is the last part of the Christmas song series, um, and we'll sing first Noel today, and then we'll move on. Next week, we're going to start a series called Refresh, and we're going to look at parts of our lives that could, that as a new year comes, it's a great time to reevaluate and say, what needs to get refreshed in my life? What have I kind of let get stale or old that I could refresh in my convictions, in my spiritual habits, in my life, in my soul? So we're going to do that for three or four weeks. But this morning, we're left with three options when it comes to Christ. We can respond by ignoring him and going about business as usual life. We can be threatened by him and then react in anger with our own threat. I don't want you to mess with my life, or we can react by worshiping joyfully him. What, the reason why the Magi reacted the way that they did is because this was really good news, that this prophesied king had finally come into the world. And like the shepherds did, we, we hear about what the shepherds did. We don't really know what the Magi did on the way, their way back, but what we do know is when the shepherds, which are mentioned in this song, had the chance to see this Jesus. That's why we sing Go Tell It on the Mountain, because it says that everywhere that they went, they told about what they had seen, which is an appropriate response. So this morning, Christ was ignored by the religious, he was threatened by rulers, and he was worshipped by foreign dignitaries, what will your response be? What will our, my response be to him? Let's stand and pray and we'll sing this song. Jesus, thanks for coming into the world. It's unexpected. It wasn't unannounced. You, your arrival was announced by angels in heaven revealed to humble shepherds. Your, your arrival was announced in the heavens through some astronomical, literal happenings that we don't exactly understand, but it led people from far away to come to find out about your arrival. Lord, might we be honest before you in our response to you? If our response is really just to ignore and go about life as usual, might you lead us to change our minds? If our response is to be threatened by your arrival, might you lead us to change our minds, to be more like the Magi's response, which was to joyfully worship your entrance into the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.